Welcome to the Plainfield Christian Church Podcast. We hope that the message today encourages you. For additional resources to inspire you in your journey with Christ, connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. Enjoy today's podcast. Good morning, church. Hey, if we haven't had the chance to meet yet, my name's Luke and I get to serve as one of the ministers here. And uh, I'm a nerd. One of my very favorite authors is a guy by the name of A.W. Tozer. In fact, if you're a fellow nerd and you like to read, you should put A.W. Tozer on your summer reading list if you're a person who wants to dive deep into the things of God. Super short, simple, but he's awesome. A.W. Tozer was a preacher. He was a man of prayer. And I can remember as a kid, my dad telling me stories about how A.W. Tozer would get up very early in the morning before it was light and he'd go into the office office at the church there, but before he went into the office, he put on his suit and his tie, you know, clearly I do not wear a suit and tie into the office, but he gets into the office, and then he would change his clothes again when he got to his office at the church. He'd take off his suit, and he'd put on his praying pants. He had praying pants, because then, for the first hours of the day, he would get down on his knees in prayer, and it wasn't uncommon for him to end up prostrate, face down on the ground, just beholding the glory of God. He was this fierce man of prayer. In fact, so the story goes, one time Tozer was going through his normal routine. He gets up early. It's still dark, heads into the church office, starts to pray. He's got his praying pants on and kind of the hours go by. Eventually his secretary shows up to work. Uh, More hours go by. Some people show up one by one. They're there to meet with Mr. Tozer. He had some meetings scheduled, but the day just keeps going and the clock keeps ticking. Tozer never comes out, so eventually the people just leave. Finally, at the end of the day, his secretary knocks on his office door, peeks her head in. She says, uh, Mr. Tozer, I'm uh, just letting you know that I'm heading out. And he said, oh, really? What time is it? He'd been praying all day and he had no idea. Now, that's not a very good way to run a business, just for the record, okay? Not very good for like the bottom line, customer relations. But for you to have that happen at least like just once in your life might not be so bad. To be the kind of person who could be so caught up in a love relationship with God that you lose all track of time. Yes, Lord, I wanna be that kind of person. And so the story goes, eventually later on when Tozer died, it was the year 1963. You can go visit his tombstone today. And if you do, you'll see his tombstone could have said a lot of things, but it doesn't. It doesn't say preacher, doesn't say pastor, doesn't say author, doesn't even say husband or father. There was no debate. When A.W. Tozer died, his tombstone in Akron, Ohio, simply says, A.W. Tozer, a man of God. I mean, I, I want that to be said about me, don't you? That at the end of our life, that the thing that defines us more than anything else, man, who is, who is Caitlin? Who is Jim? A man of God, a woman of God. Lord, let it be true of us. Like Kyle said, we're kicking off a new series today through the life of David. He's kind of one of these great Bible characters back in the Old Testament. He was a king of God's people. And David was known as many different things. In fact, 1 Samuel 16 gives us a description of David. It said he knows how to play the lyre. It's kind of a musical instrument. He's a brave man and a warrior. He speaks well and is a fine-looking man. And the Lord is with him. Now, ladies... Let's be honest, what, this is pretty much everything you're looking for in a man, right? Like when you go out man shopping, this is your list of criteria, right? You know, like he's musical, he's brave, like he's, he's a fighter, he's got some like gentle manly strength in him, he speaks well, and the ladies in the room are thinking, listen, I don't even care if he speaks well, it's just that he speaks. Can I get an amen this morning, right? 
he's a fine looking man, right? And, and like, this is the kind of dude who's gonna write you a love song on his way to CrossFit and sing it to you. This is the kind of guy who's gonna go, he's like gonna go chop somebody's head off and then write you a poem about it. The dude's the total package, right? And we're gonna see as we walk through the life of David, he's just got it going on. He's a, he's a crack shot, he's a poet, he's a diplomat, he's a leader, he's a king. Like, he's a compelling figure, the total package. But the most important thing in David's life was that last phrase right there, that the Lord was with him. In fact, throughout this series, we're gonna hone in on another phrase that describes David in 1 Samuel chapter 13, three chapters earlier. Samuel writes this about David. He says, the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people. You could have called David a whole lot of things, but more than anything else, the thing that's chiseled on David's tombstone in scripture is that he was a man after God's own heart. Man, I, I want that to be said about me. So we're gonna be asking this question over the next nine weeks together as we walk through David's life. How can we be people after God's own heart? How can we be men after God's own heart? How can we be a generation of men that they'll say, yeah, those dudes are chasing after God's heart. How could you be a woman after God's own heart? And what we're gonna see is it's not that David was perfect. We're actually gonna see quite obviously that David was very far from perfect. He was a weak man. He was given to violence and secrets and lust and laziness. He was really bad at impulse control. And yet at the end of the day, the phrase that defined David more than any other is that he was a man after God's own heart. If you and I flew across the ocean today, you can go to Italy and you can see the sculpture of David that Michelangelo sculpted. It looks like this. You're welcome. Uh, <laughs> this is actually part of Michelangelo's original vision, the swim trunks. I just figured I'd help him out a little bit. Um, th but this thing, you know this statue, right? Hundreds of years old, 13 feet tall. It took Michelangelo four years to carve it. Just this majestic work of art. And, and, and after Michelangelo got done constructing this, people would come up to him and they'd say, how in the world did you do this? We've never seen anything like it. How did you turn this massive hunk of marble into this majestic work of art? And here's what Michelangelo said. He said, I looked at the marble and then I just chiseled away everything that wasn't David. Oh, don't you wish it was that easy? <laughs> but that's what we're gonna see in the life of King David in scripture. That's a little bit of what God does with him and that's what my prayer is that he will do for us over the next week is that as we walk through David's life together, he'd just, God would pick up his hammer and he'd pick up his chisel and that he'd just knock away everything that wasn't him so that we could be people after his own heart. And I wanna invite you on a journey with us here before we dive into the sermon for the day. We're actually gonna be reading through the life of David during the week over the course of this summer. I know summer's coming, we're gonna be here and there and everywhere, but we wanna stay connected. And so for you, if you're like, man, I've kind of gotten out of the habit of spending time with God every day, or like maybe I've never even like done anything like reading my Bible or spending time with the Lord. I don't know how to do that or where to start. This is a great opportunity for you to jump in. Step one, we're gonna throw something on the screen here. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to text, David Readings, all one word. The only uh, capital letter is the letter D. Capitalize uh, D, David Readings, to the number 77411. Pull out your phone right now. You can send this text. We're gonna leave it up here for just a minute. I texted it this morning. It does work. And here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna be reading through the life of David just a few minutes together every day for the next nine weeks, Monday through Friday. We will send you a text message with that day's reading on it, the scripture that you're gonna look up and read, and then just to help you process it, 
it. We're gonna write a prompt or a question or a prayer, something to help you digest and process with the Lord what it is that you just read. So I hope you'll join us for nine weeks only. We're not gonna spam you, but this is a great way for us to be walking through the life of David together. In the sermons, we're not gonna be hitting everything. We'll just kind of do the highs and lows, but we will cover the whole thing in our reading time together as a church. Let's dive into the message though. We're gonna be in 1 Samuel chapter 16 today. That's where we're gonna kick things off. 1 Samuel chapter 16. It's in the first half of your Bible, the Old Testament. And while you're turning there, let me set the scene for you. Uh, You might remember that God's people, the Israelites, they were in slavery in Egypt. God rescues them from slavery in Egypt. They wander around in the desert for 40 years and then they finally get to go into the land that God had promised them. And so the 12 tribes of Israel, they go into this promised land. They start to settle it. The 12 tribes all spread out, kind of kick out the bad guys. And their job as they dwelled in this land was to follow God's laws, to be God's people so that they could show the world what God is like. And they're supposed to be different than all the other nations around them. And one of the primary differences was these 12 tribes of Israel, they didn't have a human king like all the other nations did. God was their king. And yet, as we so often do, they succumbed to peer pressure. They decided they didn't want God to be their king. They want a human king. And so the people come up to the prophet Samuel, who was one of their leaders, and they asked for a king. Here's what they said. 1 Samuel chapter 8 says, But when they said, Give us a king to lead us, this displeased the prophet Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord. Here's what God said. The Lord told him, Listen to all that the people are saying to you. It's not you they have rejected. But they have rejected me as their king. Man, what a sad verse. They've rejected me, God says. And he doesn't fight them on it. God says, okay, Samuel, give them them what they want. Give the people a king. And so God chooses this guy named Saul to be the king. And Saul is honestly a pretty impressive figure. We see this in the next chapter. 1 Samuel chapter 9 says, Kish, how would you like that to be your name? Kish had a son named Saul as handsome a young man as could be found anywhere in Israel. And he was a head taller than anyone else. So he's big, he's good looking, kind of this tall, dark, handsome. Saul is a kingly kind of dude. And so Samuel the prophet anoints Saul as the king and Saul starts leading the people. And honestly, he starts off pretty well. He's loving God, he's leading the people, but the power eventually begins to corrupt him and go to his head and Saul gets impatient and he disobeys God and he fails to trust God. And so Samuel comes back and he confronts Saul about his sin and Saul kind of halfway owns up to it, but he also gives an excuse. Here's what Saul says about his sin. It says, then Saul said to Samuel, I've sinned. I violated the Lord's command and your instructions. And here's the reason why he says, I was afraid of the men. And so I gave in to them. Saul feared men more than God. He cared more about people's opinions than God's opinions. So God decided to take the kingship away from Saul and give it to somebody else. That's where we come to the text we read earlier in 1 Samuel chapter 13, where it says this. You've done a foolish thing, Samuel said. You've not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now your kingdom will not endure the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and, appoint, and anoint, appointed him ruler of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. So that's the scene. That's everything that's building up to our text for the day. And here we are in 1 Samuel chapter 16. It's a long chunk, but let's process it together. We're gonna meet David for the very first time. First seven verses says this. The Lord said to Samuel, 
How long will you mourn for Saul since I've rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your own way. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I've chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. The Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. Samuel did what the Lord said. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked, do you come in peace? Samuel replied, yes, in peace. I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely this is the Lord's anointed. He's standing here right before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I've rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Remember that, because Samuel's just fallen into that same old trap. He's looking for another King Saul, tall, dark, and handsome, the quarterback, the valedictorian, the one voted most likely to succeed in his high school class. Surely that's the kind of king God will pick, right? But no, no, no. Let's keep reading, verses eight through 13. Look at what happens. It says, then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shema pass by, but Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? Anybody ever been there, like as parents, right? Like, is this like, one, two, three? You know, uh, and I don't know about you, but like, have you ever felt like the forgotten child? Any of you middle kids with a complex in the room? Yeah, you know, um, the younger kids sometimes have it even worse. I remember for us, like, with our first baby, we're just like so pumped, and we took pictures of everything, right? This is what you guys did too. It's like, oh, first time he wears socks, take a picture. You know, first time he's eating Cheerios, take a picture. First time he threw up, take a picture. You know, it's it, and. Then the second kid comes along. It's like we took pictures of the things we're supposed to take pictures of. Christmas, birthdays, you know. And then the third kid comes along. And if you ask me for a picture right now, I'm, I think he stole my phone a few days ago and was taking like little two-year-old selfies. But other than that, I don't think we have photo proof of his existence, actually. <laughs> and, and, and this is where David was, right? He's forgotten, it seems like. And yet... They do have another kid. Jesse says, there's still another one, David's dad says. He's out tending the sheep. He's not even there. He's totally forgotten by his dad and his brothers. They've completely written him off. Him, David, the runt of the litter, why in the world would you want to talk to him? But remember that even when everybody else forgets you, when nobody else sees you, God remembers. God sees. And so Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Now, I like this story 
But when I read this story, the question I ask is, if God already knew that he wanted David to be king, if he knew David was the man, then why the process? Why make Samuel work through all seven of David's brothers before he gets to him? And maybe, just maybe, God wanted to teach Samuel a lesson. And maybe it's the same lesson that he wants to teach you and me today. It's in that verse seven, famous verse, where he says, the Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. You and I only can see the outside, but God looks on the inside. And we live in a world that judges people by the outside, don't we? We even think of romance, like the famous lines you always hear. You know, when I, when I hear somebody say, oh, the first time I saw her, I knew she was the one. I knew I was gonna marry her. And when I think, wow, if you knew that the first time you saw her, you are profoundly unwise. Like, you don't know anything about her, you know? And even if you do go on and marry her, those of us who've been married, you found out like 40 years after you get married, it's not the stuff on the outside that's gonna be what you value most. It's the stuff on the inside. It's gonna be how she loves and how she prays and how she thinks and how she serves and how she gives. That's gonna be the stuff that matters. Man, I would love for us to become people who judge others by the inside and not by the outside. In fact, um, Peter writes specifically to the ladies in the church. Ladies, this is for you. The apostle Peter in the New Testament says this. He says, your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. He says, actually, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. Now listen, that's not to say that you can't do your hair or buy some new clothes or wear makeup. My father-in-law says, if the barn needs painting, paint it. <laughs> now, I didn't say that. He said that, okay? <laughs> but I am saying... <laughs> that we know, don't we, that the deepest and truest beauty can't be seen in a mirror. I'm not just saying this because she's here. I said it in last service too. I think Rebecca's the most beautiful girl in the whole world. And I love the outside, but I love what's on the inside even more. And, and this is what God wants to see. He prioritizes attentiveness over attractiveness. He prioritizes character over charisma. When God looks at us, he wants to see deep down inside and he wants to see a heart that loves what he loves and hates what he hates and is burdened by the things that burden him. That's why Jesus says that the most important commandment of all, first and greatest, is to love the Lord your God with all your heart. With all your heart. So how do we do that, right? How do you and I become people that on our tombstone it can say, yep, they were a person after God's own heart. The insides were good. Two things from this story, two things for how we can get there. Here's the first one. Be faithful in the pasture. Be faithful in the pasture. Uh, when Michelangelo was preparing to sculpt that David statue, we actually know the quarry that that marble came from there in Italy. We know right where it came from. And actually history tells us that there was another artist who had rejected that exact same block of marble because they looked at it and it was all flawed and cracked and it was broken and it had some inconsistencies. And so they said, no, I'm not using that. But Michelangelo came along and he saw that past all the brokenness inside that marble, there was a core that was usable, that he could shape to what he desired it to be. 
And I think that's what God did with King David too. That David, he's, he's messed up, he's cracked, he's flawed, he's broken. And yet at his core, he was someone that God could shape. And that's good news for me this morning. Because I don't know if I'm the only one or not, but I'm messed up. And I'm broken. And you all only get to see the outward appearance of Luke when the lights are on and the microphone. And we're all in our smiling in our church clothes, right? But if I had to wear around a high-definition monitor that was mounted to my chest at all times, like Iron Man, you know, and, and it displayed everything that was going on in my heart at all times, at every moment of the day, then you all would sometimes see some stuff that's not very pretty. And I know my heart. I don't know yours, but I know mine. And God knows my heart, too. He sees all that junk. He knows it. But I hope and I pray that when God looks at my heart, he also sees someone that he can shape, a core there that he can use. So what about you? When God looks deep into your heart, can he say, yeah, there's some stuff we gotta work on, but you know what? They're soft. There's someone I can work with. They're gonna let me shape them to have a heart like mine. That's what God did for David. And, and here's how God shaped David. God sent David back to the pasture. Here's this scene we just read. You know, David has just been anointed as the future king of Israel. It's awesome. And the very next thing that happens is David goes back to the pasture. He's not on the throne yet. David doesn't get to sit on the throne for a whole other 15 years. He gets anointed king and goes right back to the sheep. In fact, I'll prove it. Verse 19 says, a few years later, this is years later, when people come to look for David, it says, then Saul sent messengers to Jesse and he said, send me your son David who is with the sheep. Some of y'all right now are in a season of life where it feels like you're in the pasture with the sheep. And God puts people in the pasture so he can shape them. The wilderness is the laboratory that God uses to grow his character in you. And life in the pasture, I mean, it's mundane, it's ordinary, it's monotonous, it's smelly, it's lonely. But I bet that if every one of us spent 15 years in the pasture with the sheep away from the noise and the TV and the social media and the news cycles and the busyness and our phones, we'd probably be better for it, wouldn't we? So what's your pasture? Man, I know that many of you right now, you're in a season of hardship, confusion, even grief and loss. Your dreams didn't turn out the way you thought it would. You're not where you wanted to be by now. You don't no, it just seems like the same old mundane day after day. You wonder if you're making a difference or if anybody actually sees you. You're in the pasture. Can I encourage you? Don't waste your time in the pasture because that's where God shapes David into being a man after his own heart. Imagine this. Imagine if you went up to King David in that year or two after he was anointed and you met him out there in the fields and you said, Hey, David, what are you up to today? He'd say, well, uh, watching the sheep, watched them go from here to over there and back to here. He'd say, oh, and then I, uh, then I practiced my harp. I, I wrote a song. You want to hear it? The Lord is my shepherd. Oh, no, okay. Um, 
Then I practice my slingshot. I can hit that tree all the way over there. You want to see? No, David. I mean, your eyes would glaze over. His life in the pasture was nothing to write home about. It's boring. It's lonely. It's monotonous. It is not exciting. It's obscure. There's nothing fancy about life in the pasture. And yet later on when David's life does get exciting, when he comes face to face with that giant Goliath, do you remember what David says? He says, oh, God helped me kill that lion and the bear in the pasture so he can help me kill you too. And when David would go on to become the most renowned songwriter in world history, it was because he learned to worship in the pasture. And when David would go on to protect and lead and care for a nation in turmoil, it was because he'd first learned to protect and lead and care for a flock of sheep in the pasture. David grew the character to lead. He became a man after God's own heart, not in the palace, but in the pasture. So listen, if you want to kill giants, if you want to lead people, if you want to do great big things for God, then first you have to do great small things for God. You gotta be faithful in the little stuff. Jesus himself says this in Luke chapter 16. He says, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever's dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. You gotta be faithful in the pasture. If I came up to you, mom, mom, what did you do today? Well, I changed some diapers and I chauffeured some kids around to practice. And did they appreciate it? No, no. <laughs> Businesswoman, what did you do today? I answered some emails and filled out some expense reports. Same old mundane, day after day, dead end gig. Grandparent, what did you today do today? Well, we went to doctor's appointment, and then another doctor's appointment, and then a meal, and then another doctor's appointment. <clears throat> Student, what did you do this week? Did you take some finals on American history and biology and a bunch of other calculus and stuff you're never going to use in real life? No, you didn't. You spent time in the pasture. Don't waste your time in the pasture because it's in the pasture that God wants to use your faithfulness in the small things to grow in you the character so that you can develop faithfulness for the bigger things. In fact, this is crazy. I just learned this in studying for this sermon. I've been geeking out about it. When we meet King Saul in the Bible, several chapters earlier, King Saul, the first time we meet King Saul, he's chasing these lost donkeys all around the countryside. He's supposed to be taking care of these donkeys, and he's lost them. He's chasing them all over the place. He's a failed shepherd. Saul flunked his time in the pasture, and he went on to flunk his time as king. And yet the first time we meet David, where is he? He's with the sheep. He's being faithful in the pasture. And so he would be faithful in the palace. He was a good shepherd who went on to become a good king. So listen, if you wanna become a person after God's own heart, be faithful in the pasture. Say, God, listen, I don't know. I don't understand what you're doing in this season. I don't totally get it. But would you just help me to become right now whoever you want me to be? Would you just use this to give me a heart like yours? If you wanna be a person after God's own heart, be faithful in the pasture. That's the first thing. Here's the second thing. If you want to be a person after God's own heart, seek his anointing. Seek his anointing. Do you ever wonder if God could actually use you? 
I read a story this week, true story, about a woman who locked her keys in her car in kind of a sketchy part of town, a little bit of a rough neighborhood. And so she gets out the coat hanger and she tries that thing, you know, and it, it, it ain't working and she can't, doesn't have her cell phone. So last resort, she decides to pray. And she says, God, would you please send somebody to help me? And sure enough, not five minutes goes by and this rusty old beater pulls up. This nasty old car kind of squeaks up, pulls off on the side of the road and this big old dude gets out. She's trying not to profile him, but this guy is like, looks like he's seen some stuff. You know what I mean? And he's kind of, he's muscled up. He's got the skull biker rag thing on his head. He's got this giant beard. And, and the lady's thinking, really God? Like, this is who you decided to send? Thanks. But you know, she's desperate. So the guy gets out and asks if he can help. And she said, well, could, could you help me break into my car? He said, not a problem. <laughs> you know, so he takes the coat hanger, opens it in like 10 seconds. And, and, and she said, wow, you're, you're a very nice man. And she gives him a big hug. And he said, well, no, ma'am, I'm, I'm not a very nice man. I, I just got out of prison. I did two years time for auto theft. And, uh, <laughs> and she said, she, she shouted, she gave him another hug. She said, God, thanks for sending me a professional. And, uh, <laughs> True story, I loved it. Um, but man, maybe that's you today. Maybe you're thinking, man, you, you don't know where I've been. You don't know what's going on in this heart. You don't know what I've done. God, could you possibly, why in the world would you wanna use me? Maybe you feel like you're the forgotten child who's stuck out there with the sheep while everybody else is getting picked. Maybe you feel like in the tryouts for God's team, you wouldn't make the cut. But God loves picking the runts of the litter. I mean, read your Bible. God loves picking people who aren't good enough. Gideon says, I'm not important enough. Abraham says, I'm not young enough. Jeremiah says, I'm not old enough. Isaiah says, I'm not holy enough. Mary says, I'm not married enough. And God says, yeah, but I am enough. And, and people, people would think, man, like, like if you're like me, you look in the mirror and think, God, you got everybody in the world to choose from. Why in the world would you choose me? I'm not good enough. Back in 2001, President Bush was giving a graduation speech at a college, and he said this, and I quote, these are his words. He said, to those of you who received honors, awards, and distinctions, I say, well done. And to the C-minus students, I say that you too can become president of the United States. <laughs> Listen, God calls the A-plus student and he calls the C-minus student. He calls the eloquent and he calls the slowest speech. He calls the five-tool player and he calls the one-talent person. You do not need straight teeth and perfect hair and a 4.0 GPA. You need to seek the anointing of God. Man, listen, the world has enough people with big personalities and fancy resumes and five skills and really successful and all kinds of charming and charisma and good looks. We've got enough of those people. We need people after God's own heart. We need people who are gonna say, all right, God, I don't got much, but whatever I got, it's yours, and I'm gonna chase after you, and I'm gonna seek your face, and I'm gonna ask for more of your spirit, and I'm gonna do whatever you tell me to do, God. I don't got much, but I'm here for it. Let's go. Man, that's what we need. Man, my prayer is that we would become people who seek his anointing. Because David, I mean, he's a, he's a talented guy. I'm sure he had some admirable traits, but we're gonna see very clearly. David was not a superhero. He was a man, like any man. And he, he was a weak man in the same way that all men are. The only thing David had going for him was the anointing. That God had chosen him. 
All throughout the Old Testament, we see anointing. People will sometimes anoint things, but oftentimes they'll anoint people, like when a prophet or a priest or a king would come into their office. They'd be anointed with oil, and it wasn't magic. It was just this visual, symbolic way of saying, God chooses you. We're setting you apart for God's service. In fact, we read this earlier in verse 13. It says, So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. That's where the strength came from. So wherever you are, whatever season of life you're in right now, no matter how inadequate you think you are, no matter what your doubts or questions, would you just become a person who says, God, I don't understand and I don't feel like I have much, but whatever you say, I'll do. And wherever you tell me to go, I'll go. And, and I'm just asking you to give me your Holy Spirit to sustain me along the way. Give me a heart like yours. And, and this is the key to it. In fact, we think of the Apostle Paul, we think of the early church, right, as these super saints. But Paul said it like this to the early Christians in Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. He said, brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. He says, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. And that's good news for me because I'm weak. But, but his grace is sufficient and his power is made perfect in our weakness. You think about Paul. He seems like a guy who's super talented, right? Got it all together. But Paul says this about himself in the very next chapter. He says, and so it was with me too, brothers and sisters. When I came to you, I didn't come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. Maybe you think that, like I can't put the words together like that. He says, for I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you with weakness, with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Listen, um, I hope you love it here. I hope you dive all the way in here and say, yeah, I'm all in to this place. I hope you believe in what God is doing here. But please, please, please don't put your faith in me. Don't put your faith in this building. Don't put your faith in these programs. Don't put your faith in the people around you that you love so much. Put your faith in him and only him. He's the only one who's never gonna let you down. Our dream for this church is not that we would be the biggest church or the coolest church full of the most happy people and successful people and talented people and smart people. That's not our dream. Our dream is that we would be the church full of anointed people, the people who seek his face, the people who say, Jesus, whatever it takes, I'm all yours. What if we were the church full of anointed people who said, whatever it is, we're gonna run after Jesus and we're gonna go wherever he tells us to go. We're gonna do whatever he tells us to do. And when you seek the anointing of God in your life, he will choose you and he will use you every single time. Because ultimately, let me pull back the curtain. I wanna show you the heart behind this series. When we read Bible stories like this, the goal of this is never to say, be like David. Please don't be like David. If you go out trying to be like David, you're gonna do some dumb stuff this week, okay? We don't say be like Noah, be like Abraham, be like Moses, be like Esther. That's not the point. 
This isn't Aesop's fables. We're not just looking for a good example. We're not just looking for the moral of the story. If we're looking, if we're reading the story of David for the moral of the story, and the moral of the story is don't worry if you're little, you can fight giants too. When you come face to face with Goliath this afternoon, no offense, but I'm putting my money on Goliath, okay? You're gonna lose. We don't just need a moral, we don't just need a good example. We need a savior. Because David, he was the best king that Israel ever had. But he still fell short. Every human does. But man, as, as we read through the life of David together as a church this summer, as you read, if you squint real hard when you look at David, you can see the silhouette of somebody else. The only man who was truly a man after God's own heart. The only good shepherd the only faithful king. We saw today how David was anointed. The Hebrew word for anointed one is the word Mashiach, Messiah, Christ. The Bible wasn't meant to lead us to David. It was meant to lead us to Jesus. This is why we said all along, walking through the gospel of Mark earlier this year, that Jesus is the one and only true king. And think of David's story. Think of Jesus' story. Jesus, too, came humbly in a way that nobody expected. Born from David's own family, generations later in the same town where David was anointed, the town of David, Bethlehem. And Jesus, too, was anointed. When he was baptized by John the Baptist, the dove came down from heaven, anointing Jesus with the Holy Spirit, and the voice came down from heaven saying, This is my son whom I love, and with him I am well pleased. And then after his anointing, Jesus too was sent into the wilderness in obscurity and solitude and loneliness to be prepared for his mission to become king. And when he embarked on that mission to become king, his mission didn't end in a palace, it ended on a cross. And he died for you and for me today and he was buried in the tomb and Jesus' tombstone is the only one that's qualified to truly say, a man after God's own heart. But if you go to Israel today, it doesn't say that because his tomb is empty and he's alive and he's seated right now on the throne of heaven reigning as king of kings and lord of lords and he chose you. He wants to use you to establish his kingship on the earth and as he's using you, he might send you to the pasture to shape you but he wants to anoint you with his Holy Spirit so that you and I can become people who have a heart like his. So my question for you today is just will you let him Will you let Jesus make you a person after his own heart? Man, we're gonna take communion to respond to this. We're gonna stand and sing to respond to this. In fact, would you just stand with me right now? And, and throughout the remainder of the service, our prayer team is gonna be gathering around the edges of the room as they always do. They're gonna have their green lanyards on. And man, if you need to surrender to King Jesus for the first time today to say, listen, I don't know what this means, but I feel like I need to come to Jesus. Let's go, let's do it. Today, we're ready around the edges of the room. And, and if, you've, if you just have some weakness in your life, say, man, I, I don't know how I'm gonna get through this by myself. The good news is you don't have to. Jesus wants to be in the pasture with you and we want to also. So you, anything that's going on in your life, we'd love to pray with you. Let's pray together right now. Our Father in heaven, we love you and we praise you. You are good and you are kind. And God, we want to be people after your own heart. We, we only look at the outside. 
but you see what is inside in every heart in this room right now. And you know the weakness and how fickle and how, what a coward I can be sometimes, Father. So, so here's our hearts. We're giving them to you and we're asking you to shape us, to anoint us, to choose us, to use us, to make us like you. Please, for my brothers and sisters today, just fill us with your spirit. And Father, we come to you knowing that far greater than David, you are the only king who is worthy of everything that we have to give. And in Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast today. It's our desire for you to grow in your understanding of Christ's love as you partner with us in our mission to love all people to new life in Christ. If you have any questions about our church or would like to plan a visit with us, go to plainfieldchristian.com. If you would like to receive our podcast every week, we encourage you to subscribe to the Plainfield Christian Church podcast on whatever podcasting platform you prefer. Have a great week.